0: on earth are we, why in heaven are we here, and how to make sense of this mess of our humanness, and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome, everyone. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, Dawn of an Era of well-being is the place to tune in. We're gonna deep dive into uplift with insight, and I'm thrilled to welcome our two formidable hosts. Two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, Professor Irvin Laszlo is a world-renowned philosopher and systems scientist, the author, co-author, or editor of 101 books that have appeared in a total of 23 languages. He has also written several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines. He's a member of numerous scientific bodies, including the International Academy of Science, the World Academy of Arts and Science, and he's the founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest and the recipient of various honors and awards, such as the Goya Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, the Luxembourg Peace Prize, and he's received honorary PhDs from the United States, Canada, France, Finland, and Hungary. And Fred Sao, a business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author and chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle and founder of Itia Institute and Octave Institute, where ancient wisdom and quantum science are fused to create a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life that's mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. I'd like to start each episode by acknowledging our worldwide audience, for whom some are lucky enough to be thriving in this remarkable new environment, but many are not. It's challenging. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast and book hopes to offer real comfort to the global community, helping us awaken to a new paradigm, a new era of well-being. We encourage you to not only read the book and hear the podcast, but to Feel them to start awakening your senses to different ways of perceiving beyond just our eyes and just our ears, because this is the space that Irvin and Fred refer to as consciousness. That's our comfort zone for the long term. So before I introduce today's wonderful guest, Michael Bernard Beckwith, I have this question for you, Irvin how to discern and distinguish between the clever voice of ego and the subtle voice of guidance and consciousness, and why is guidance more subtle if it's so much more important? Irvin?
1: Well, guidance comes to us through our consciousness, through probably I would call the non-ordinary states of consciousness. The consciousness that occurs in the area where Michael Beckwith is working, because it occurs in spirituality, in religion in the broadest sense. So uh, the guidance we get is from these deep layers. We have to explore those layers, but it's not from the everyday world around us. It's not just telling us how to how to make a better pie, or something along those lines. It's really, it comes to us from the cosmos itself, from a divine source. And that's what, these are the kind of things that I'd like to talk with, with Michael Beckwith about, who is a leader in this field. I would just say, in answer to your question, Alison, it, the guidance comes to us from a subtle source, from a deep source, a source that's universal, available to everybody, but how to access it, and how to make use of it, so that we live on this earth and strive on this earth instead of harming each other and harming nature? That's the big question, and here is where I think our guests today will have an important contribution to make.
0: Absolutely true. And on that dynamic note, let me introduce our very special guest, Michael Bernard Beckwith. He's the founder and spiritual director of the Agape International Spiritual Center, a transdenominational community headquartered in Los Angeles, comprised of thousands of local members and global live streamers. Widely recognized for his teachings on the science of inner transformation, Dr. Beckwith embraces a practical approach to spirituality utilizing meditation, affirmative prayer, and life visioning. These practices teach us to take the experience of inner peace and awakened awareness into our everyday lives. As co-founder and president of the Association for Global New Thought, he hosts conferences featuring harbingers of world peace. And his new app, Beckwith Inspires, features essential spiritual tools, technologies, and practices to help shift perceptions and transform lives. And oh, do we need some transformation here, Michael Beckwith. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you for joining us. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive into a question that I think you'd be so equipped to answer. While we are still in our infancy of becoming a hopefully more consciousness-oriented species and cultivating the relationship to this new paradigm, who is parenting our mind? And let me give you a familiar scenario. I think this has happened to many people. This happened to me recently. Me and my monkey mind, as we'll call it, are both hungry, but with different appetites. My tasty dessert is literally sitting on my plate while monkey mind overeats with thoughts. By the time it's digested its meal, I cannot find mine. My chocolate cake is gone and I don't remember eating it. I was so consumed by my thoughts, which consumed my food without my even realizing it. And I wound up hungry, frustrated and deprived before my very hungry eyes. So how on earth can an innate human hunger for tasty pleasure be usurped by something that's not even real, our runaway minds. Food for thought?
2: Uh, Absolutely. First of all, I just want to appreciate the opportunity to be with you and to be with Urban. Uh, It's magnificent. And I'll just kind of continue where Urban left off and continue with that conversation. Because first, I want want to jump into the guidance question a little bit. Because as he's saying, it's it's coming, guidance does not come from this world, you know, the we're, we're bombarded. There's a broadcast of wisdom, guidance, love, intelligence, beauty that's happening perennially. And uh, what we're seeking to do through spiritual practice and, and intentionality is to be available to that guidance, which means we have to be interested. Without interest, then, as you're indicating, uh, the monkey mind gets pulled into the fray of the human experience. And so individuals become interested two ways, either through crisis or through insight. And so humanity generally, uh, most of humanity grows through crisis uh, and pain, and then open themselves up to become interested in some, into something higher. So we're surrounded by guidance and wisdom. Inspiration is a direct word of God directly moving through us. When we're inspired, we, we've transcended the personal mind, and we're hearing something differently. As you just said, not with ears, not, with, not seeing with eyes, but seeing with pure consciousness. So the, the monkey mind is something that everyone has to deal with. It's a thinking in this. Thinking this is happening. And so what happens is with spiritual practice, instead of trying to get rid of the monkey mind, what we seek to do is become aware of it. We, we just look at it. We, we watch it. And as the um, scientists would tell us, there's something called the observer effect. Anything you observe changes on a subatomic level based on your observation. So if you have observation with intention, I intend to wake up. I intend to embrace the next great version of myself. I intend to to participate in my own evolution, my own unfolding. If I have an intention combined with observation, then I can look at the monkey mind. And by virtue of my observation, it starts to transmute on a subatomic level. I'm not trying to get rid of it. I'm just watching it. And then it starts to lose its power. And then what's left? What's left is me as the observer that has a choice. Choice is a function of expanded consciousness. So as I'm doing my work, I'm now living from choice. So I can choose. When we get to a place of freedom, you come to a fork in a road and there's there's two choices. There's pleasure and there's bliss. Most people go to pleasure. But pleasure is short-lived. It's empty calories, I'm not not, not downing pleasure. Pleasure is a good thing. But when you constantly choose pleasure over bliss, bliss is a function of the activation of your potential. When you start to really activate potential, you go into bliss states. Uh, Pleasure, you have its opposite, which which is um, anxiety. Uh, If you have excitement, then you have depression. So uh, pleasure is still in the realm of duality. But bliss doesn't have an opposite. Bliss is your innate being. So, going back to your, your question, the monkey mind is definitely there, thinkingness is there, but through uh, uh, intentional observation, we can transmute those thought forms and then ultimately transcend them.
1: Well, that's what you have to learn. It takes practice. That's what, Michael, you have to teach, and you are teaching it how really to move into yeah. that level to that conscious level where we can transcend the everyday mind, the everyday preoccupations. So entering on this, I'm reminded of the saying of an observation by William James, who wrote this book on the nature of religious, religious experience. he said, so the re, uh, religious experience is typical, the feeling that we are, or the insight, that we are part of something larger, something more than we are. Now you can impart this feeling in people. How you do it? And how can we make use of this capacity that you are showing to have people become more spiritual? Because when they become more spiritual, they become the change or the guidance that they wish to have in the world. Then they exemplify it. The, the how is now a very important question. We know the that. That becoming more spiritual that's becoming more insightful, yeah. inspired. How? We look to you for guidance yeah. on that, Michael.
2: <laughs> it's interesting that you know, we're dealing in a realm in which the how-tos are subtle. But the beginning of that kind of awakening is, I, I would say that humanity is suffering from an identity crisis. And they actually believe that the content that's passing through the awareness is their identity. That's like the ocean thinking that the boats or the plankton or the fish or the pollution is the ocean's identity. It's not. It's content. It's not the ocean. And so individuals actually think they are the interpretation of their past experiences, they are where they were born, they are their bodies. that's, That's all content. So when we stop and actually learn to be in enjoyment without anticipating anything in the future. See, enjoyment in the, in, the, in the moment is a remedy for anticipation. And it begins to sever you from the content identity. And you start to become aware that you are awareness itself. So the how-to is it's ageless. It's ancient wisdom. The how-to is meditation. You know, the how-to is sincere prayer. Uh, the, the two greatest technologies on the planet are sincerity and earnestness. Sincerity says, I'm going, to, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to study, I'm going to pray. I'm sincere about my desire to awaken. Earnestness says, I'm going to do a little something every day, even if I don't feel like it. So if you, if you combine sincerity and earnestness, then you have these epiphanies, you have these moments, and they may, they may only last a couple of seconds. But you have moments where you're severed from time, you're separate from seeing yourself based on the content passing through, and that's the beginning stage of awakening. When I, when I see that I'm not my content, oh, I'm waking up now, you see? And then when I can just stabilize a feeling, not an emotion, but a feeling of being in joy without looking to, to the future for something to happen, Now that's another stage of of awakening. And then we learn through practice to stabilize these states. And if you stabilize a state, then a stage, the next stage emerges. A next stage cannot emerge from a discordant state. And so all the work we're doing in consciousness is to stabilize a state. So we can stay in a state longer and longer periods of time. And then the next stage emerges like a like a butterfly from a caterpillar, there's a, a stage that happens when there's a state, when that a caterpillar goes through a state of dissolution and then pure stillness, there's nothing there, then the next stage emerges. When we are able to just have a modicum of holding a state for no reason, you know, uh, then the next stage will occur. And I'll, I'll say this. Um, In that moment of joy with no anticipation of of, of the future, we also are learning to be in, in, in joy or peace or love without attaching it to a condition outside of ourselves. In other words, we can use conditions to say, oh, this makes me happy, it's my anniversary, somebody gave me a gift. But then we take that feeling of happiness Sever it from the condition and learn to just stay in it for no reason. That's another state of awakening. And if we stabilize these states, then there's a natural stage that begins to unfold, and it's like we start to know ourselves and see ourselves for the very first time. And right now, humanity, uh, uh, you know, is suffering from a nightmare pill, um, and uh, it, it is swallowed a pill saying that all of this, all of the negativity. Is, is really reality, but it's not. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simulation of thought forms being uh, uh, manifesting as experience, but when we come to these other states and stabilize it, we wake out of it. Woo! We become clear and clean. It's, it's a whole different space. And I just want to say one other thing. No one needs to be a superhero to do this. I'm telling you, with earnestness and sincerity, little by little by little, we, we, break, we break free from the matrix.
0: That's so inspiring. That actually makes me think of something that you had said recently, Irvin, which was also almost reassuring. It's not that we don't encourage people to wake up, to start to explore this other realm, but you said that it's not even necessary that everybody wake up, or <laughs> wake up at the same time, nor in the same way. So there's a lot of latitude, isn't there, Well, Irvin? I mean,
1: it would be practically impossible. To have nearly 8 billion people wake up to this higher state, enter the stage, move past the current state. But that's why we talk about the critical mass. And that's why we talk about yeah. communication and, and, and contact and, and and the spread of consciousness, the connection between consciousnesses. I think if there's a critical mass of people here and there, in Los Angeles, in Italy, in China, wherever, in India, wherever they happen, if they keep, if they achieve that higher level, a new stage, as you say, the higher level of awareness, I think they'll be able to communicate with each other. They'll be able to feel each other. It doesn't have to be kind of articulate communication in words, but they will start feeling how the other is doing. I have a good fortune to be treated by alternative medical healers who, who actually feel my condition. They can tell what is happening to my, to my body by, by self-spontaneous sort of insight. They use a dowsing method, but there are various methods to be able to do this. But it's possible, and I can assure you that it is possible. Com- communication and consciousness are non-local events they are not limited to the here and now. And if this would happen, if there would be these nuclei of higher stage awarenesses arising, then I think the communication among them would spread and would would infect, to use this current word, infect others, but with a new consciousness, with a new stage of being. And I think we have got to start, start the process it's not a hopeless task, that's why Alison is, is, is emphasising. We don't have to be able to, uh, to uh, attain 8 billion people at the same time. We have to be able to attain a critical mass, Thought leaders, informational people who can move things. Michael Beckwith says, there aren't many, <laughs> but those that, those that are, have to come together and have to create the nuclei for a new civilization. I think so the how-to, to come back to this question again, is, is, is important because it's feasible. you are not talking about utopia, idealism. We are talking about that can be done, moreover, something that must be done in our own interest. So here is a learning experience and we can benefit from Michael's presence here to, to be taught how to proceed with this experience.
0: Absolutely, and Michael. Uh, just off off the heels of Irvin's point here, because are we at risk? I, I don't I don't like to emphasize the negative, but I like to use the concerns to balance out the the positive, the positive trajectory that we're going on. Are we at risk of overwhelming our young and vulnerable senses with things like? facebook's metaverse and all the ai explosion that's going on right now because because the world is much more technologically savvy but also dependent and susceptible to its influences for better or worse so is there a concern that we'll further confuse consciousness with ego in a kind of wormhole of mixed realities Mm -hmm. how and people like you can help us navigate that but what's your thought on that
2: well, historically, technology has always superseded consciousness. You know, with the nuclear weapons, with the, uh, mobile phones, television, we've always gone beyond what the what the average individual state of consciousness is, and so we're doing it again. You know, with with, with all of these technologies. So it'd be, it'd be so all those technologies, particularly the ones we're coming into now, the metaverse, they're actually representing what's within us. They're actually uh, uh, prosthetics of what's within us. A computer is a prosthetic brain, but our brain is way more dominant than a computer. And so it behooves us to actually catch up uh, with the technology. The technology is like saying, this, these are prosthetics of what's within us. Now we have to catch up and actually allow for the technology to be useful to technology and useful to feeding all the people on the planet, bringing clean water, uh, creating an economic system that's, that's not immature, but mature enough to, to be built upon abundance rather than on debt. You know, so there has to be a shift of consciousness so that we, we overtake our own, our own technology. And so, as, as Urban was saying, it's not going to happen overnight, nor is it going to ha- everybody's not going to happen at the same time. It's like popcorn. You pop popcorn, all the little kernels don't pop at the same time. One pops, another pops, and then pretty soon they're all popping, and there's always a couple that don't pop, (laughs) you know. um, And and that kind of communication he's talking about, that kind of communication worldwide happens through communion. You know, communication via communion. We're in communion with the same thing, the same presence, the same source, the same power becomes more real to us than the very chairs we're sitting on. And then we're in communion with the people around the world. And suddenly these ideas that are in the idea sphere, inspiration, guidance, starts to flow through the critical mass as he's talking about. That the beautiful thing about ageless wisdom is, is that it tells us that a thought that emerges from a field of unity is way more powerful than a thought form emerging from a field of separation. They don't have the same game, they don't have the same function, they don't have the same amplitude. So if you have uh, even a a small group of people, but a powerful group of people that pass a critical mass, that's way more powerful than the rest of the population that's unconscious. And it will start to create a wake for people to follow through. And I, I think we're really on the verge of um, a renaissance movement in which things will happen very, very rapidly because the universe is progressive, and, and when you get locked in stagnation, you know, dictators, dictatorships, stagnation and greed, materialism, consumerism, war implements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then what happens is uh, it, it creates kind of like a slingshot. Something's being pulled back, pulled back, pulled back, because something's not moving, and then it's released, because it can't stand the tension anymore, and then society moves really fast, really quickly. However, it moves, first of all, through the people who've been doing the spiritual work, those who can hold the wattage of the cosmos and not blow their circuits, because they, <laughs> because they have prepared themselves for the onslaught of the cosmic energy. So I know that's that's a lot in there. But it is dangerous what we're doing with technology, so we have to quicken uh, so that we get, a, get ahead of it, because it's just replicating what's within us anyway. People need to be reminded about that, that what they see outside of themselves, this computer, what they see outside of this metaverse, that's all within us, you yeah. see. It's not foreign, it's within us, but we're signing too much power out there. And
1: we need to come the back in the The internal authority, the authority you have to be, within you have to be, us, and not above us, yeah. not beyond us. What is so remarkable in today's situation is that for the first yes. time, two things are happening simultaneously. We are becoming threatened as a species, as a whole species on this earth. The physical conditions for our existence are no longer guaranteed. If you move like this, ever smaller groups of people could survive. Ever fewer could actually thrive on this earth. The conditions would narrow and would, the, the crisis would grow. This is on the one hand. On the other hand, the awareness of the need to create conditions for our survival. Even, I like to use the word thrival, ability to strive you know, that this is, these are, are becoming known. You are finally waking, waking up as an international community for the first time, getting together and spelling out goals for everybody. Goals to which some nations who are able or affluent enough are, are pledging to support, are making pledges. These pledges are of obviously for the time being, they are well-intentioned, but very often the financial means, the actual political will is missing to live up to them. And they're also not all sufficiently strong, sufficiently radical to move it. But obviously we are in a situation where consciousness becomes the key. Financing, yes. Technology, yes. All of those things, political will, yes. But how do we do this unless we start feeling it, feeling one, feeling part of it, and feeling that what we want to do is what everybody wants to do because everybody wants to live as a normal human capacity. And we realize that we live when everybody else lives. When in our book, when we talk about well-being, we have a well-being when, when the world around us achieves well-being. These are not separate individual elements. They're the whole or nothing. All of us together. So we are in this particular historical moment when we are waking up. The international community is out there now, talking about the G20, talk about the COP26, talk about the Paris Accord or whatever. All these are, are, are unprecedented elements of awakening, in, the, in a practical sense as well. Not yet in actual practice, but envisaging the practice, and to key to this, to moving into real practice is what Michael is doing, and what great intellectual and spiritual, inspiring people are doing, getting people to understand the situation, to feel it and to want it, not as an imposition, not as a responsibility, but as a positive aspect. Here we are finally, we can come together as a species, create our consciousness which is held in in common by all of us. If we can do that, then we really will create the new man, the new person I would say that Marx was even talking about, and that philosophers and prophets were talking about all along the new person you know, and this is almost almost here. We have to accentuate it, otherwise the crisis can, will overtake us. Mm-hmm. so here are the tipping points, and things like which we are trying to do, the things like we are engaged in doing at the institute with this program, these are publications and with, with Michael, with his, with his uh, initiative in Los Angeles and worldwide, these are the key elements of the mesh, that we are succeeding, that we are moving toward striving and not toward extinction.
2: Hmm. Absolutely. When when the first generation they can actually destroy the earth and film it at the same time. <laughs> You know, but, I, but I, 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 I'm I in absolute agreement. We're, we're at a point, you know, since humanity has a tendency to grow through crisis anyway, not every single being, many people grow through inspiration and insight, revelation, uh, articulate a vision and walk in that direction. But still, most people still grow through crisis. And so the crisis that we're in is, it's, I believe, it's of an evolutionary crisis that is going to catapult us. To the next level of planetary concern, international concern, and not just me, me, my, my concern. Not, not, even, not even me, me, my, my country, but uh, a more of a, of a global perspective. And that crisis uh, uh, is pushing us in that direction. And we know, as you're saying, we know right now that with the right use of technology, we know right now we have everything necessary to birth a kind and just global society in which everyone has enough water and everyone has enough food and shelter. That already exists. But as you're saying, Irvin, there has to be the will and the willingness to walk in that direction. As you're saying, we're seeing, we're seeing remnants of that beginning to, to come up now. I mean, obviously we've had the United Nations for a number of years, but it was, you know it's done some things But now you're starting to to see more countries buy into certain things and make agreements, and that needs to be expedited because people are now just getting to the point of realizing that without trees, we're dead. If we kill off the rainforest, we're out of here. Without bees, the the human beings won't be on the planet. People are starting to understand what we have done as a species to destroy Mother Nature. And uh, because of this understanding, there is some movement afoot. And as you're saying, and I agree, this begins in consciousness. With the, 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 the consciousness piece, adds one other thing, and that is it allows something to come into manifestation out of nothing, with no previous with no previous condition. This you don't have to have a, a con, an external condition. When when consciousness hits a certain point then something can show up out of consciousness that didn't exist before. And, and people will call that a miracle. They'll, they won't know what to call it. But if we have enough people in communion about the possibility and articulating a vision, something can come on the scene that didn't exist before. And that's like a, that's like a, a, a universal plus factor, you see. That I've, seen, that I've seen operate on a personal level with people, you know, and community, community level with people, but it needs to operate on a global scale.
0: I love that. I, I love what you're saying, Michael. And it, what what I suddenly think of is that this is such a tipping point. There is such a, it seems a, a deep need for relief because people are feeling something, one way or the other, everywhere on earth, and there's a great desire for relief from this incredible discomfort and upheaval. Question in my mind is, will people, and I could understand this in a sense, want to veer back towards the old way for a sense of immediate relief, because we're not even adept at holding ourselves in a a state of discomfort, so how can we, as Irvin has been saying, and it's so important, how can we make uh, finding a new kind of relief, fun, enticing, enjoyment, um, exciting? And I think you have uh, certainly answers for that. I think you're doing it, but please share that with us.
2: Yeah, you, you, You're speaking about the fact, first of all, that people are addicted to the toxic chemicals that flow through the body temple when they're bombarded with bad news. It's an addiction. And so we're, we're assisting people in breaking the addiction to the old paradigm. We're assisting people in seeing through the reporters from the old paradigm called mass media. And podcasts like this, I call this the reporters of the new paradigm. And we're actually reporting from the possible. Whereas the old paradigm is reporting from uh, the carcass of a bones of something that's dying. But people are addicted to that. So we have to make the new sexy. You know, yes. we have to make the new sexy and fun and, and, and possible. And so I, I do everything I can to play outside the box to be able to bring the activation behind my words. But uh, I have to bring things in that are, that are fun that, are, that seem foolish at times in order to grab the attention so that I can actually deliver the message. We call it putting spinach into the ice cream, you know, bringing the activated <laughs> energy in, into it. But that, I think that's the question we're all grappling with. You know, uh, people are, uh, as you're saying, first of all, they're addicted to the old, and now they become addicted to the new toys, you know. Uh, the, the new technological toys. Oh, I got this. Oh, I got the new iPhone. Oh, I got this, got that. You know, um, so we have to make consciousness uh, pursuit fun. And I think there's a, that's happening because, you know, when you look at the statistics in America, all the young people are leaving the old churches, and they're going, they're going into the study of metaphysics. They're going into the study of the law of attraction. They're going into the study of manifestation, which are beginning steps, little small steps into the larger mystical realm, you know. And so, um, so now the fundamental churches are starting to study this stuff and start to teach it because they want to get their congregation back, you know. And so... It's 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 an interesting you know they, and then a lot of those guys are calling me to teach them, but they don't want to they don't want me to do it in public, like Nicodemus they want to do it at night. <laughs> they, 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 wanna, they, they want me to come teaching, but don't tell anybody that you're teaching me, you know. <laughs> so I, so we're at the point of a crisis, but I see a light. I see it.
1: And it's so important that the technology be used the right way, the right technology. When people sit around at a table, two of them can be sometimes you see couples sitting at a table and you would think that they'll be enjoying each other. Instead of them, each is picking up his mobile, uh, the smartphone, and is talking to somebody else or looking at some film or some uh, video. Now, to what? It's fine if you use your mobile phone your smartphone to communicate and to get information. But not if you just separate yourself off from the rest. And you can make yourself an enclosed individual just communing with your little gadget, you see. And that's a danger that we have there, that the new technology separates instead of bringing together. And it depends what goes on it. We can have the kind of videos that join people together that listen to people like Michael Beckwith and Greg Braden, and, and Deepak Chopra and others, you know. And then, then, of course, we can realize we can that we are belonging to a wider community and we can join that community. But technology has to be overcome. It's a it's a means. It's a vehicle. Otherwise, if you're stuck on it just for, for the love of it, then we get bogged down just playing computer games. Basically, that's the danger. We're just playing games with, by ourselves, you know. It's like playing cards by yourself, the, 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 the old-fashioned way. You just deal for yourself and then you play. So it's, 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 it's a communal game, and we have to use the technologies, use the means that we have to play a community game, to commune with each other, as yes. Michael says. find Create a community, yes. a communi- communion among people, and that has to be, eventually, it has to spread worldwide, it has to spread to the species, the new species, the new person will arise, if we are all joining the community of life on Earth, and first of all, a community of human beings, This is not just my country or your country, or my, my race or your race, or whatever, it's the, it's the community of all of us on this Earth being part of this tremendously coherent wholeness, which is nature, which is the web of Mm -hmm. life on this earth, Mm -hmm. joining it it, instead of separating ourselves off. Mm -hmm. We can do it, as Michael says, we have the means to do it. So now do it, do it. And Michael can help us do it.
2: Mm -hmm. Exactly. what, What we're doing is we're redefining what success is. You know, um, personal success is when you, you have your, your, your own health together, you have your, your financial together, you know, but that's, that's personal success. We now, as, as, as Urban is reminding us, we now are expanding our viewpoint of success and we're including other nations and we're including the planet. We're not uh, just being nationalistic, you see, or we're not just uh, uh, dealing just our kin We're coming to understand what Jesus meant when he talked about loving your neighbor. It wasn't the person just living next door to you. The neighborhood is the planet. And so from from a very young age, our children need to be taught that everyone is your neighbor and planetary success is the game. That's the game we're playing. We're not playing the game of who he or she who has the most toys wins. We're, We're playing the game of who leaves the best vibrational blueprint, uh, footprint on the earth, the footprint of beauty, the footprint of love, generosity, compassion, kindness, uh, uh, philanthropy. That's the game that we're now playing. And the danger of the technology, as Urban is reminding us, I I know of a personal case of a woman. uh, I have a friend of mine who had a friend until he discovered that this friend, she works for the armed services, and she was adept at computer games. So now she kills people with drones. You know, she gets a target. She goes into work. She gets her targets that are primarily in the Middle East and parts of Africa, and she takes them out. And then she comes home and feeds her kids. And he was talking to her about this, and she had no connection between the fact that she's pushing a button and somebody's dying, that, that that's a human being that just died. And in many cases... It's what you call collateral damage. Other people are being killed as well, not just the target that they're going after. But she was so cut off from the fact that she's, she actually kills human beings for a living. In her mind, she's just on this computer and following orders to kill these people. That's dangerous. I mean, that's where we can, that's where people are being led to, not just distraction, but actually extraction of human life, you know. So to, to to Urban's point, you know, we have to really shine the light on this kind of thing and begin as a species uh, I, uh, uh, on, a, on a positive note, I have a, an individual go through my classes, and he was a part of the war industry, and after the, the first year of being with me, he quit. He quit his job. He said, I can't be a part of this industry. You know, because he was also like blinders on. He was a computer whiz and he was doing things and that led to people's deaths and he woke up. He said, I can't be a part of the system, you know? So there's a lot of people waking up. There's a lot of people still sleeping. Um, but I, I see there's a trend towards awakening There's a trend you see. And, and, uh, I mean, urban said it all, you know, this, this separation that's caused by technology um, and what you said earlier, we have to make this thing sexy. We have to make consciousness expanding sexy. And, and I, I often teach that in, even in businesses, we have to have four bottom line, a minimum of four bottom lines. You know, in the old days, you had one bottom line that was profit. You know, now you, you have to have a planet, people, and purpose that leads to a profit. You know, you you have to, how is this helping the planet? How is this sustaining the planet? How is, this, how is this business not hurting the planet? And then how are we taking care of our people? The people that gets the end product and also the people that work for you. How are we taking care of people? You know, and our, what is our higher purpose for the business? It can't just be making money. That's old. It has to be uh, alleviating some kind of suffering, bringing some kind of joy, some kind of beauty, some kind of efficacy, you know, has to have a higher purpose. And then there's profit, because you have to sustain yourself. But any business that's trying to come into manifestation at this time in human history, that's solely for money, it will not succeed in the new period.
1: What purpose? Yes, the purpose. The old-fashioned purpose, the old, old purpose, yeah. which is so dysfunctional, is just to play a game that separates from the reality. I remember once uh, somebody asked the... Uh, retiring head of general General Electric, what motivated you? You made it a very successful company. What was it that you really wanted to achieve? And he offered one word: win. You just want to win. You're playing games. You want to win. You see, the winning means getting more power, more market share, more profit, you know more power altogether. And this reminded me also of another example. I once had happened to know, became a good friend with a a philosopher who in his youth, when he was 18 years old and 19 years old, he was German, and he was a Stuka pilot, you know, these these dive bombers, you know, the incredible what they could could produce uh, by diving down and and letting down their, their bombs. I asked him, did you know that you're actually killing people with the bombs? It never occurred to them. You had to get the bomb bomb into the target. Even more important than getting the target, to shooting down the counter, the the so-called enemy, the British planes, the the British um, uh, uh, Spitfires, I think they were called at the time. So they played games. Who can shoot down how many? When you were 18 and 19 years old, this was an exciting game. Never occurred to them that they are killing people. It's, it's their job. They are winning, also. They are playing a different game. And nowadays, if you just want to win by playing computer right. games, it's just as dangerous a kind of a thing. At right. least you are not actually killing people, but as you say, we are, are killing the, the, the effigy, the, the sort of the representation of people. So let's play games, which is the real world. How to be a productive part of the web of life on the planet. How to be a part of evolution and some part of the positive aspect, not part of the problem, you see. So if you can get this mentality, recognizing that the the playing field is the earth, is life on this part of the universe, you know, that I think then we start playing games that can get us someplace instead of just hurting each other. Right.
2: Rival games. Yes.
0: Why aren't there all these, there are genius minds out there creating apps and games. We have the Olympics. Maybe we need an infusion of new apps and games to transition us so that we're, in other words, one of my questions is actually in order to um, birth this new paradigm, is it necessary to cut to make an actual cut or is it an alchemical shift that we're taking some of the old as we bring it into the new and can we use our creative genius to create apps and games and a a sort of a new kind of Olympics where the global body suddenly starts to um, understand that it has an arm and a leg, and each part of the body is maybe doing a wonderful competition on behalf of the whole, just to sort of stimulate and wake ourselves up in the most fun, as we say, sexy, uplifting way, sort of a seduction, a seductive dance
1: as we enter this new paradigm. What do you both think? Alison, yeah, what you are saying calls to mind, is saying we have to remember who we are. Remember. it." was a little bit <laughs> We're
2: in the beginning stages of that, that there are individuals like uh, the Global Citizen uh, uh, group that was created. I think I, I spoke in South Africa pre-COVID, um, uh, and we raised billions of dollars in one day that is being people can now submit and get grants. They have to submit a, a proposal for how they're going to help change the earth for the better. It can be an environment. It can be in social justice. It can be an education. So those kind of things are emerging. So we need more of that. Those kind of um, uh, not festival, those kind of challenges, those kind of Olympics, you know, so that can actually funnel their genius into solving the issues of the day. Rather, and, and think beyond, you know, their market share of, for their particular business, but to think the planet. Uh, and I think we're at the beginning stages of that kind of thought. It just needs to be more fueled. I mean, it was just a small, um, it was a small little bit of a news item on the old Paradigm News, even though I think, I think that day was raised $7 billion in one, oh, not that day, in one week.
0: $7 billion. That's was this pretty- Hugh Evans? The, Hugh Evans, the Global Citizen Festival? Is that what you're referring to? Because uh, there was a, a global it was in South live stream.
2: Yeah, this live stream all over. Yeah, it that one. Exactly. It, it was that one. I, I was there. It was Oprah, and it was um, Jay-Z, yeah. and Beyonce, and there's a bunch of us. They had me open it up. Right. And I didn't find out two weeks later they would raised that much money. Um, and so that's the yeah. beginning of that. And there's other things like that happening. But it gets very little play in the mainstream media. So we have to begin to figure out ways to really get the message out that these
1: things are happening
2: and begin to build exactly. them.
1: You know, so I always tell well, In Well, exactly. in evolutionary theory, we know that it's never the mainstream never. that evolves. The mainstream dies off, Yes, preferably sooner, sooner rather than later. Yes. The evolution comes from the periphery comes from the bottom, and then it has to move in toward the center, move up, if you like. Yes. So I think that's over. where the reaction response, responses, that's where the creativity is occurring, and that's what we have to look at and further and promote, so that the new culture will arise, which is already arising, right. will become powerful enough to take over.
2: Yeah. That that's, is that's our
1: brilliant. job. And
2: I, I tell people the same thing, that you, nothing creative is really going to come from your political system. The politicians are embedded within the old paradigm. You may have a sprinkling of a couple that are statesmen and stateswomen, but pretty much not. It's going to come outside of that. Self-governance, having a vision, walking in that direction, and self-empowerment, you see. And and, and all of this is in alignment with expanding our consciousness of our oneness with the presence. Absolutely.
1: And some leading politicians realized this. You know, I'm reminded now that I wrote about 20, 15, 20 years ago a little book called You Can Change the World. And the foreword was written by, by uh, uh, your, your, um, another Michael, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. <laughs> and in the foreword, and in the foreword he said, never trust, never think of the politician as going to lead the way. <laughs> and he was a politician. Right. He knows what games they, were, they are playing. You see, you always look to the people to lead the way. And, and honest people recognize this and know this. Yeah. But we just have to realize all of it and empower, empower the creative alternatives at the periphery so that they become the, main, the new mainstream. That's it. Die. I think we have reached a point, a point here where we can uh, Conclude, so have a couple of words. I would just like to say to Michael that it has been a great pleasure to have you with us and to have discussed on these points, which are so critical, not just for our happiness but for our very existence on this planet. To recognize that we are at the tipping point and that a new spirituality, a lived spirituality, can arise, which can show us the way. It's the. It's not the old-fashioned dogma. It's a new feeling, it's a new sense of who we are and what the world is. The kind of things that you are leading, Michael, and that we need so much in the world. So thanks again. Mm. And thanks to Arizona again for, for moderating this discussion. Well, Urban, thanks you. I, I would travel the world I, I would
2: <laughs> to work with you, Urban. Come on. You've done so much for humanity, you've made such a gigantic vibrational footprint on this planet. As soon as I saw your name, and they said they want you to be on a podcast with Urban Laszlo. I said, yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Maybe we need uh-huh. an Urban app. Maybe we need we an Urban,
1: Urban app. app. Yeah. Yes. A new game. Join with, with the, the Lazo app. That's right. Lazo really app. Have yeah. to join. You, you don't have Lasso to write it. We, we can just
2: extrapolate it from what you've already written. <laughs> have something up there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the lazlap. Here's to the lazlap and the the spinach in the ice cream that Michael Beckwith is going to help us make so delicious and taste so good and I think we are we are going to end on this incredibly uplifting note. I can't wait to I can't wait to get uplifted and eat my spinach with ice cream and, and then some. So <laughs> on that very, very inspirational note, uh, I'm Alison Goldwyn with our host, Urban Laszlo, and Fred Sow, and today's very special guest, Michael Bernard Beckwith, inviting you to join us for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, and consider this, that the holiday season is fast upon us, and it may not feel like a holiday for many people, but this bit Book makes a wonderful gift of uplift, and please remember that the bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So, when building a new paradigm for humankind, well, let's try to include humankindness. Stay yes. tuned and stay attuned. Thank you. And now to conclude our program, here are
2: some thoughts from our co-host Fred Sal. And how do we dissent the, the the voice, the clever voice of ego? Versus the subtle voice of consciousness. How do we discern between these two? Where
3: does that guidance come from? And how do we discern the clever voice of ego and the subtle voice of consciousness? Well, first of all, you have to practice, and then you can differentiate quite easily, because their thoughts and their thoughts that come from thinking, and their thoughts that arise on its own. On different types of thoughts, you'll be able to distinguish them. And then, of course, you cannot see yourself. So the best way of seeing yourself is actually when there's a mirror. And that mirror is called relationship. And a particular light of relationship is really good for mirroring. It's called a journeymate. It's called fellowship. It's called sangha. Those are people that are on a journey together that understand That if we journey together collectively, we can go far, we can mirror each other, and it's only through relationship you can see yourself more clearly. Of course, in meditation you see too, but meditation is nothing but your relationship with yourself. So in relationship, we can see ourselves, we can see our ego, we can see the origin so if you observe your thoughts, then you start tracing back the thoughts. Where does that thought come from? Soon that thought will come out to be a complaint, or soon it will come up with a story. Soon you will see your ignorance, your aversion, your greed at play. And they all come up together. They're not separable. Ignorance, greed, and aversion, pride. All these are intertwined into the same zone. And you can see that thought, as you follow that thought in mindfulness practice and hold that investigation, and you'll find out where it came from. Then you investigate it and ask yourself, is that really true? Are you 100% sure your story is true? Why do you think it's so true? Can you prove it? Then you'll find out that all the ego is trying to do is playing games with you. But you keep practicing. You keep practicing. And then you find truth. It takes time. It is about attention and intention. Pay attention to your deepest intention, and you can see it.
0: Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, IT Institute and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara, with theme music Chimera by Biba Dupont. The book Dawn of an Era of Well-Being co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sall is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being the podcast on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is alison goldwin founder and creative director of synchronistry.com a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide wishing you well-being till we talk again next week